Hi everyone, this is the Shop Still Podcast, episode 14 of season 3. As always, I'm going to start by introducing my two co-hosts. Joey, how are you? I am not too bad, a little bit of a sore arm, got my second jab, so oh. otherwise I'm good. Good on you, good on you. And Brian, how are you? You're, you're, all, you're all vexed up, aren't you? I am well and truly vexed. I've been annihilated by several American followers on social media, so yeah, I feel as though I've completed <laughs> the entire process. <laughs> Nice. So, yeah, you've gone through yeah. it, yeah. And, uh, and my name is Robin. Welcome to the show, everyone. Now, before kicking off, we do have a guest tonight. Before kicking off, I just want to mention that this is going to be the second last episode of the, uh, the season of the year. So we'll do our last show in a couple of weeks, and then that will be it for the year. But we'll, we'll get into that in that show. So tonight, we have a guest and a longtime supporter of the show. He's a woodworker out of Sydney's Northern Beaches, and he does a little beekeeping on the side. Uh, more on that later, I hope. I've personally been watching his Instagram for years, and the process has been incredible. I'm super excited to welcome Leroy Redding from Big Rock Timberworks to the show. How are you this evening? I'm very happy to be here. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Um, so, we always try and get a bit of insight into how our guests got to where they are. So just uh, interested to hear what your, your story was as you came up to get to this point where you are now, which we'll, we'll get to a bit later on. Yeah, I was actually uh, thinking a little bit about this question because I knew that it was coming, being a long-time listener of the podcast. <laughs> so I, I did think about it a little bit and, I, and it gave me a little bit of a different perspective of actually where I did come from because I hadn't really thought about it too much uh, up until this point. But when I was a, a kid, I have a bit of a different uh, uh, way to getting to the, the point that I'm at now. So, so when I was a kid, uh, manual labour wasn't for me. I wasn't allowed in the workshop. It was don't touch that. It was get out of the workshop. It was um, yeah. I think uh, – my old man was almost ashamed of his uh, – he was a, a fitter and turner by trade. And mm. and so, so he didn't uh, – it wasn't for me. It was – he wanted to be an academic and – and so he, he was he was ashamed of 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 that manual labor that that he sort of felt like he was forced into so mm. so it wasn't encouraged in me at all as a as a young bloke um so i went through you know primary school high school i never built anything i never did anything like that it wasn't mm. until i was uh 30 and bought my first home and i was like I, I, I wish I'd had those skills things. in me. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I had a good mate who was a, who was a carpenter, a fantastic carpenter, and uh, he was like, "Oh, mate, you know, I'll help you renovate your your new place." And and so we started sort of working together, and I just started picking it up and loving it, just loving every minute of it. And and he sort of encouraged me to come and work with him and. Uh, and he sort of saw in me that I had a bit of a knack for it, a bit of an eye, and and so I basically went through a uh, an unticketed apprenticeship with him. Mm. And so I got to learn a lot of things. And then um, when my my daughter was about to come along, I thought, well, I want to make her crib 
and everything in her room. I wanted it to be made by my hand. So I made, I started making my first piece of furniture, um, which was a crib. And I sort mm. of started, you know, I didn't have a lot of tools as such, um, like furniture making type tools. I had more carpentry type stuff. So as I was going, I got to a point, it took me eight months to make this crib. And, and, and I got to a certain point and I was like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I can't get this square. This is, this is one and a half degrees out. Yeah. It, it's not going to go together. And my, my carpenter mate came around and he was like, what is taking so long? Give me a look at this thing. <laughs> and he looked at it and he was like, mate, just glue it, clamp it, done. Yeah. And with, so what took me eight months took him 30 seconds to tell me to pull my finger out and stop me <laughs> and trying to get it perfect yeah. and just get it done. And so then as soon as I built that piece, and I was quite proud of myself, um, I, I, I just went into a deep dive into um, furniture making. I read everything I could. I spoke to everyone I could. I, um, you know, watched YouTube. I watch you guys. Um, yeah, you've been a big inspiration for me and helped uh, along the way. And I, you know, I started reaching out to people and sort of trying to figure out, you know, how can I um, take this newfound passion and turn it into something? Because it, it just it was burning inside me that I, I like I loved every second of it. Um, and then straight away, I thought this is a business. Mm. And way before I was. I was ready. I actually reached out to Joey and I said, um, I want to be a furniture maker and should I go to a school? Should I go get a trade? And he said, no, just do it. <laughs> it's all your fault, Joe. And so I just you did it. You probably so should Joey. have got a second opinion. But <laughs> it's all your fault. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how... Uh, that's how it all sort of came about and started. Can we just can we go back to the crib there one second? Um, so I've done a mm. couple of crib designs, and I think your approach to doing the crib solves a really tricky problem with cribs, and that's uh, how to connect the front panels into the end panels. And generally, you have to use like uh, demon bolts and threaded inserts and things. But by doing that plywood ring around the top out of one sheet and the dials on the corners. It's a really, really nice solution to a tricky problem. And especially because it was one of your first projects. It's uh it's a really it's a really smart way for people to approach their first designs and not try to learn everything at once, but try to make everything as simple as possible. Because I find that I nearly take that approach now in furniture that I go to the absolute extreme and then try to pair it back. I think getting your brain working like that in terms of design is a really, really smart approach. Also, that I mean, it's, a, it's an old cliche, but simplicity is yeah. the best solution. Like, oh, any engineer just goes for the simplest option. Yeah. And um, I think furniture in general is just simple shapes. And how can you make the shape interact with? you and what it has to do i.e. be a set of drawers or be a workbench like how can you make that simple thing be usable and then if it looks really nice as well then that's a bonus yeah i really just went into that build with just wanting the stacked plywood 
Yeah, so maybe maybe so describe that, it to people. So the each headboard is laminated, like maybe sixty mil thick. Yeah, strips of plywood. Yeah, like eight. Are they eighteen mil ply or? Yeah, they're twenty five mil. Like that. Twenty five mil. Yeah. Okay, nice and chunky. Yeah, it, it. This thing weighs an absolute ton. Oh <laughs> yeah. my god! I just had yeah. no. No real idea how heavy it was going to be. And I just kept stacking and stacking and stacking. And I didn't, like, hollow anything out. It is just solid as a rock. The house could fall down. It doesn't, doesn't really matter because, like, the heavier the heavier it is, the less chance of, of baby throwing a tantrum and, mm. and knocking it over. But, yeah, I just really like the solution of the plywood ring along the top and... And locking all the corners in and using the strength, like the cross-laminated nature of the plywood yeah. to hold it all together is, is really nice. Yeah, thanks, mate. So I think you're probably the first guest that we've had on the show who hasn't come from a trade background, which is amazing. So I have a, a story similar to that. When when I was growing up in, in primary school, we had a choice, or sorry, this senior primary, we had a choice of... Uh, and we had one of those those days where they the the different universities come around to your school and they tell you about what they can offer. And we had a choice between either going to a university or what we would call a technical college, which was real hands-on trade that kind of thing. Like a TAFE. And I, TAFE exactly, pretty much the same thing. And I will never forget one of my teachers looking at me dead in the eyes and saying, "You won't be going to that one. You're going to be going to university." I.e. You're too smart to go to a place like that. I mean, I wasn't particularly smart, but he was sort of saying, don't waste your life by going to that. And, and, and look at it today. I mean, obviously this was 20 years ago, but now woodworkers and, and trades are celebrated. I mean, trades make some of the best money in the industry. They are. And I was just going to bring that up. Tradesmen in general are earning bloody good money. But I feel like that there's that still that same stigma around. Do you, do you think they care about the stigma when they when you're running a plumbing plumbing <laughs> business that's bringing in a million bucks a year? No, I don't think anyone cares about it. <laughs> what, I, I, I think we celebrate each other. Yeah, we do that well. It's, it's an Maybe. echo chamber of uh, makers patting makers on the back. <laughs> We're good at that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, really interesting because I just thought that that was all. That was maybe you know maybe part of South Africa where I grew up, but here in Australia, yeah, I I have to beg trades to come around to work <laughs> on my house. It's a very different world now. Yeah. So eight months. Uh, yeah. uh, so, sorry, um, uh, four years that you've been properly woodworking for. I didn't realize yeah. it was that short. Yeah, yeah. That just makes it even better. The 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 work that's coming out. Okay, so how long between um, finishing the crib? in that 30 second glue up and then um, somehow working out that you can make 20 bucks building something for someone else. <laughs> it, uh, it was literally instant. <laughs> it, it, right. Yeah, it was just like, yep, this is what I want to do straight away. So then how did you get, how did you go from, kind of fuffing over the um, crib to I'll make this for you random person uh, maybe it was just an excuse to buy tools yeah. 
But I did, I did have a business mindset straight away, um, and I did sort of set myself up. I, I did think, okay, this is this is a business. This is what I want to do. Um, this is like, how am I going to get there? What are the steps I need to take? Um, and so straight away, I registered like my ABN, um, got the business set up, um, got things going with that business mindset right right from the get-go and and just started sort of getting the word out there, hey, if you want something, I'll build it for you. And in terms of getting the word out there, what did that involve? I mean, at, at the start, it's friends and then it's friends of friends and the circle just sort of grows, I guess, like it's a, it's a ripple in a pond. Mm. Um, you know, and it's still... It's still small at the moment, um, you know, and I hope that it grows bigger. Mm. Yeah, that's the, the the getting your first client and then your second client can often be a big gap. I know personally I don't get a lot of work because I'm not hammering away at the marketing. So it seems like those early days are just super tough where, where Joe and Brian, I would assume you guys – at this stage would get annoyed about the number of quotes that you have to do because people are just constantly hammering you for work. Yeah. I'll say yes. <laughs> I'll say maybe. I, I am annoyed that the quotes I'm doing are not the ones I want to be doing. <laughs> That's the problem. And I, I, don't, I don't know the secret answer to this. So you, you all can enlighten me. Um, how do you get the work you want to be do- working on? Say no yeah. to the jobs that you don't want to be working on. Yeah, but then I can't eat. <laughs> eating, eating is also important. Because I've always been a believer of having bread and butter type work. Do you, do you know what? I, I think it's the balance. I think it's that you, all right, you take the bread and butter work, but it never touches your business account. Like it doesn't end up on social media. It doesn't end up being promoted. Yeah. These are just things that you work on in the background. Yeah. You work out like for me to like, obviously we're about to reopen in Melbourne and um, I had phone calls from, um, from a restaurant client that I do a few different pieces for and they're wanting to sand and refinish tables. This is not something that I want to be doing, but no. I know I can charge an hourly rate and I know that, Today, I will have made more money as one day than making furniture for a day. Yeah. But I'm not going to tell other restaurants that I do uh, <laughs> refinishing of tables. Yeah. It's that I'm trying to keep this client sweet because I know that they pr- bring better work in. So, yeah, I think it's about knowing when to say no to jobs and when to say yes to jobs. And obviously, when you start saying yes to jobs and publicizing them, you're more likely to get similar jobs. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I'm maybe you've seen this, Leroy, that when you say yes or you do one or two pieces, you tend to get a run of similar things because their friends or family and whoever sees their Instagram and stuff, they see it and then decide they want something just like that. And so you end up kind of doing a run of really similar things and then eventually moves on to some other run of another similar bunch of things. Yeah, so, so I've thought about this a little bit too and and my thinking is that um, to do the work that makes the money and, and, and make sure that I am designing things and making spec pieces in between that 
those more monotonous builds mm. and just keep putting like what you put out there, you know, hopefully comes back at some point. So so like what Brian said, yeah, I'm I'm trying to to make sure that I that I put in those spec pieces, those original designs, um, you know, ma- enter something into the Wood Review Maker of the Year awards, which was a scary thing for me to do, mm-hmm. um, but I got it in just just before the deadline um, this year. <laughs> Is that year. for this and, current you know, one or uh, for this year? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm, I'm proud of it, um, but it was a scary thing to go, oh, Okay, real woodworkers, real furniture makers. Here's here's my contribution. I think that, that was scary. I entered for the first time this year, and the same thing. Just made it within like twenty four hours before entries closed, and it's scary as shit to put to push the send button. And you're like, shit. Other other people, scary for you. Other people who know what they're you. doing are going to look at this and, and critique it. You know. And I saw Brian. You put some stuff in as well. Although you've been in a bunch of competitions, so I'm sure you don't care. I'm surprised you're allowed to, Brian, because you are very, very cozy. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not, whoa, I'm whoa, not whoa, insinuating. Whoa. I'm just saying I thought you would be uh, far too close to the they judges. They do actually have – they have rules on um, – so I had written an article for them last year, the year before, and I couldn't enter the maker of the right. awards as a result of that article. Mm. So I think you have to be two years from having direct involvement in the magazine before you can enter. Uh Okay, yeah. But don't enough. you be dragging my name through the mud, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a compliment. Um, yeah, so I've got a couple of pieces that I entered this year. Mm. Like I said, it's always a good thing, to, even just to see your work alongside other pieces and yeah. of makers that you admire and respect is always a good thing. Yep. So did, you entered the uh, the Kameko door cabinet, was it? It's like a tea cabinet? Yeah, yeah like a little tea cabinet. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um yeah, thanks. Uh, it was it was literally the first time I'd done just about everything in that cabinet. Cool. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a good learning experience. But it was one of those things that, like I, I made it all around the, the Kumiko panel, um, and and everything else just sort of went off that. But I just wanted to make the Kumiko panel um, mm. and sort of see where that went. Um, yeah. <coughs> Can can someone explain this Kumiko trend? <laughs> I, I don't get. It's not. I mean, it's not ugly, but why why is it Thanks, such Ron. a why why is it such a thing that all woodworkers want to do? For me, it was a challenge. Like it was a challenge to the patience and the um, the accuracy and the repetitiveness. Um, like my hands were crippled after doing it mm. i think there's there's over 300 individual pieces of timber in that panel um mm. yeah and they're all hand done with a with a chisel and a block um yeah it was it was fun. i haven't i don't know much about it i haven't looked into what the traditional kind of use and kind of anything about it really so i i, I can't really give it any opinion as to why people are suddenly using it oh, oh, but there has been around a lot in the last year or two years oh, yeah. maybe a bit of the fetishization of Japanese joinery maybe. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm guessing that it was used back then like and even recently in Japan 
that it was an expression uh, for carpenters to really show off their skills because a lot of the like nailless and glueless joinery that they're doing in houses it will end up being covered or not seen yeah, so true. to have a really spectacular panel with no glue no nails no nothing it is a challenge um yeah i haven't taken one on yet and i'd be seems, i'd be intimidated by it like i say i don't know anything about it but it seems to me something that you might do as a pastime yeah where it's yeah. almost like an equivalent to whittling where you could probably, knowing how the mm-hmm. Japanese work, they generally sit down and hold like a, a board with their feet as their workbench. Um, you could probably see somebody sitting down at like smoker break and whittling a few pieces, slicing off a couple of bits with a chisel and just seeing how they fit inside of a frame and, then, and you just keep kind of making a pattern. That's just complete guesswork, so who knows? Do you want, do you want, I've, just, I've just Googled it. Do you want the official? <laughs> sure. So each okay. design is a meaning or is mimicking a pattern in nature and is thought to be a good omen. The patterns are designed to look good but also distribute light and wind in a calming and beautiful way. All right. That kind of makes sense. Do you know how big they get? I, I'm, it seems to reason that they would get quite big, like on a on their kind of rice paper screens or something. Yeah. So in traditional mm. Japanese architecture, they did get they got really big, but I think right. the new trend because they do take an awful long time to make. I think it is more make boxes or box lids or yeah. or um, or panels for for doors like um, <clears throat> like the tea cabinet out of them. Um, that, 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 t- that tea cabinet is $47,000 too. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of time it took me. Leor, you mentioned yeah. um, kind of doing spec pieces between less interesting work. And I, I really, I, I probably said this to you before as well, that um, doing those spec pieces is such a good way to learn uh, and kind of build your toolbox of, of skills because until you try something like doing doing some half blind dovetails and doing just some weird things with angles and joinery that wouldn't usually come up um that's when you can when someone comes to you with something that's slightly oddball you can say hey i've actually i've got the skills to i I know i've done this at least once i'm sure i can do it again for you i can like do this kind of joinery so really i think it boosts your confidence as a woodworker when you just play around with strange joinery and techniques and yeah, absolutely. just to have it in, in your back pocket and say oh yeah I've done it before and it, that really gives clients a confidence boost even if you've only done it once before and you can't really remember how yeah. you did it but you can say you did it but, but even if you haven't done it it's the problem solving that goes into those pieces where you haven't done something before but then you, you have confidence that you can see it through to the end whether you knew how to do it beforehand or not that's the confidence that those pieces sort of give me that I can t- I can say yes to things, mm. um, even if I don't. I I may not know how exactly I'm going to do it at the start. I'll be able to work it out through yeah. you know, the the critical thinking. That's very much mm. how I am. I'll, I'll typically take on jobs just because the client says no one else wants to do it. And I'll say yeah, sure, I'll do it. Uh, don't know how I'm going to do it. How much money have you got? <laughs> yeah. And, and typically, they're the ones that end up on videos and stuff because they're interesting. Yeah. Mm. So, Leroy, are you doing this full time now? So, I am a firefighter with uh, Fire Rescue New South Wales. So, so we have a pretty good uh, 
shift work roster. So we basically do a 24-hour shift, then we have 24 hours off, do another 24-hour shift, and then have five days off. Oh, sweet. So, and then it rolls around on an eight-day, like, week, basically. So so it gives a lot of time. So it, it basically just means I work every day. Okay. okay. I love the way Joey's so, like, oh, sweet. So, Joey, when was the last time you went into a burning building? I, I wanted to be a firefighter. <laughs> Did you? That would be, that was my first, I, I applied to be a firefighter um, after I got all over my cancer and all that bollocks. Yeah. I was like, right, going to make a big change. Couldn't get through the maths, so that was me the going. Maths? Yeah. Man. There was, there, there's not many um, spaces available and there was two spaces available in Auckland for like a full-time like live-in type thing. Uh, and there was like 400 guys showed up for the job. So they just had to cull the herd and, and it started off with like a, a five page, like university level maths. And we had 20 minutes and I was just like, this is beyond me. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I applied for the, for the fire brigade, there were 12,000 applicants Jeez. and 120 of us got jobs. Yeah. Great. It was a two year process. Whoa. That's crazy. Oof. Yeah. Yep. About 15 years later. You got some seriously good math skills as well there. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Maybe just the competition was lower. <laughs> <laughs> so the first conversation that Leroy and I had was after we did a Shopstool podcast episode in December of 2019. And I talked about this guy, Leroy, who left us a message or something. He's a part-time firefighter. And Leroy got back to me saying that he wasn't a part-time volunteer or part-time firefighter. Yeah, he got me a volunteer. Volunteer <laughs> and how everyone at the station was going to now take the piss because he's, I've called him a volunteer firefighter. <laughs> They're all like, we're so getting paid was, for this. <laughs> that was that was December of 2019. So, Jesus, it's almost, almost two years now. Mm. Yeah. Is the goal to eventually and maybe you don't want to make this public, but is the goal to eventually leave the firefighting behind? Um, look, I, I, I can't really see myself uh, at 55, 60, jumping onto the back of a fire truck and running into buildings <laughs> um, in the middle of the night. So, so hopefully, like there, there, there is, I think with, with any emergency service, there's, you, you have so much to give and you hope that you don't give all of it before the end of your career and everyone has a limit of of what happens on shift and and the experiences that you have and everybody has uh, one job too many and you hope you don't get there i don't want to get there so if i can if i can uh do something that i'm really passionate about um that i love and uh you know before before that point, mm. that would be great. Yeah, but I love it at the moment. I love it. Awesome. Mm. And it's a good it's a good balance between the two. Um, yeah, it's been a big week for me. So I've just moved into my first commercial space ten days ago. I was just about to ask you this. So you're in, you're in Northern Beaches, like some of the mm. most expensive real estate in in Australia. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. How do you how did you go with finding a workshop? It, it took me a really long time. Uh, where I am, uh, there isn't a lot of commercial space 
available at all. Um, so it took me about four months and in that time I think about six properties came up that were appropriate um, on that sort of smaller size. So I was looking at something around 120 square metres um, and that was that was basically – I'll, I'll tell you the numbers. It was about $35,000 a year plus GST for that 120 square metres, which is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so the place that I've moved into is 306 square metres for the same money. Jeez. Are you going to nice. sublet some of it out? Or yeah. Keep it to yourself. I've thought, I've thought about lots of things. Yeah. That's massive. Um, it, yeah. So it... There's pros and cons. I, I don't really, I don't really know where I'm at at the moment. Like I'm just, um, I'm trying to find my, my feet. Um, I'll definitely be putting it out there, but I, I'd prefer it to be something a bit more organic rather than something that is forced upon me to pay the rent. Yeah. So I have to be working with someone or sharing a space with someone um, under conditions of needing to pay, needing their rent money. Um, so we'll see how we go. Yes, yeah, so some food for thought would be that um, as you grow and your work inevitably will become bigger, no matter what it is, the things you produce will become larger and harder to move by yourself. Having someone who's available to lift stuff that you can trust and is you can talk to kind of yeah. as and when you need to and not have to like plan it weeks in advance have someone take a day off work or whatever just so you can lift this thing up a flight of stairs having someone else in the workshop um, is a massive uh, boost if you had yeah. someone like yourself share their workshop with you put a big wall up between it you don't like 300 whatever meters is more than I need I'm not having that much like you will feel like a yeah, I, tadpole I in this giant swimming pool and I'm coming from a 20 foot yeah, shipping attack. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> I was falling all over myself. Yeah. I had to be a contortionist <laughs> to get anything out. Yeah. Um, um, I would just yeah, keep that in mind that, um, yeah. sharing the space, space with someone else, even t to the point where you can share tools and stuff. I've thought about that myself in the past as, as uh, certainly when COVID first hit, I was thinking, yeah, should I empty the, the workshop out and have someone else share my tools and then we can kind of work hand in hand and stuff. But uh, it's, it's definitely worth a thought, I think. Speaking of tools, I've got a new panel saw arriving tomorrow. Bam. Oh, nice one. I'm so excited. Is it a Laguna, like this jointer I've been reading about that caused problems? <sighs> that Laguna jointer. I wanted to hear no, about it. I won't buy anything Laguna again. Okay. Um, it's really? I thought they were supposed to be uh, a pretty solid brand. I've had nothing but troubles with that joiner from day one, and it's still not resolved two and a half years later. I wanted to know why you decided to buy Laguna when it had to be imported special and stuff from the States. I don't know what you paid for it, but it just seems it seems an odd choice. We've got, me, resellers. We've got Laguna resellers in Australia, I think. Do we not? We do, yeah. Uh, I think Carbotech, I think. Carbotech do now. At, at that time, it was uh, Gregory's Machinery yep. were the importer. Yep. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but it was basically uh, to get a 12-inch jointer. Um, oh, I was it 12? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's big. That's why. Yeah. Is it a com- so is, is it, it a combination? Was the only one that I could really get. Was is that it sorry? a combination, like a jointer thickness or no, a 12 inch no. jointer? Yep. Yep. Okay, yeah, so a bit hard to find. So you have to get yeah. them special yeah. ordered. Yep. Yep. And so. What, why I decided to get a 12 inch jointer in a. Yeah. In a <laughs> uh, shipping container. Is beyond me, but I was just, I was just so confident that that I was going to expand beyond that. Yeah. So everything that I bought, I was just like, well, it's not going to be here long. I'll soon be moving on and I'll I'll get the one-time tool. <laughs> Buy once, cry once, which was probably a mistake, but here we are. But to be fair, a jointer is one of those tools where you want it to be as beefy as possible, in my opinion, especially when it comes to hardwoods. You don't want to be – I've got a – I've got a, I think I've actually got an 8-inch. It's either an 8 or a 10. And the amount of times that I'd wish – the bed was just a little bit bigger, just a tiny bit bigger. It would make would make my life so much easier. Um, so what's wrong? What's wrong with the what's what's gone wrong with it? Um, uh, the 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 fence is um, concave um, and and not straight along its length. Um, so it makes it hard to if you're if you're jointing um, an edge, um, it can it can. It, can, it just it's very hard to square up because yeah. you can get it you can get it square from top to bottom and then if you've got a shorter piece it's falling it's over then yeah, yeah. A, a tiny bit moved over so it, it's hard to get things square sometimes um, and then the dust collection has been a problem where I've got a three horsepower dust collector and and I'm just getting chips flying at my face and covering oh. my feet and that's weird. Yeah, mm. yeah, I can't. It's a parallelogram, is it? Yeah. Is it a parallelogram body? Um, the way, yeah. 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 Mm. And that's, correct me if I'm wrong, the parallelogram is the new one, where, or that's the, the, the better option, whereas yeah. the jibs is the one that you don't want. Is that yeah, correct? Like it's like a dovetailed wave. Do, yeah. Um, which is just hard to adjust, one. I think, um, whereas a parallelogram yeah. is a bit easier to to adjust. Mm. 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 But let's not don't don't talk about tools that I don't like. Okay, what kind of big <laughs> massive panel saw have you got? Oh, I'm getting an Altendorf. Oh my god, W A eight X. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> oh. let's have a look. Is it it's, CNC? It's, it's, pretty, it's uh, it's got a CNC rip fence. Oh my god, a three point eight table. Yeah. Um. Which, yeah. what, which one is it? W A eight X X. It's pretty sexy. Is it CNC uh, height and angle, or just a fence? Just a fence. Okay. Just the rip fence. Yeah. Well, that is bloody useful. I, mean, I tell you what, if I could do anything, I would CNC my rip fence because I hate having to run around. The, that was the, my thought. It's such a pain in the ass. One man shop, having to walk around the table constantly, um, would just save me so much money. It doesn't we, sound so like it. We, we, people say, "Oh, you know, it's not worth it just to walk around. You just move the sliding table, and it's not. It's when you're doing it, you know, four hundred times a day. That is a pain in the butt." Joe, sorry yeah. for non-panel saw people out there like me, CNC rip fence. So. Yeah, it'll have a. It's got a little LCD display right. that hangs in front of your face, and if you want to cut a panel 600 wide, you just type in 600, and, and the fence moves over to 600. What? Yeah. Yep. Because, and it's a legitimate problem. If if you got a 3.8 meter sliding table, 
and let's say three meters of it is sticking out behind behind you you've either got to walk three meters back around the thing and then back three meters up to the the fence move it over to whatever measurement and then walk back around and start the machine and cut or you've got to slide the sliding table all the way forward which may not be possible if you've got a sheet of panels sitting sitting on the the sliding table so that doesn't work sometimes you've got to crawl underneath the panel underneath the slide if if you've got shit backed in in the way you can't get around it anyway Uh, it's just not fun so it is just it's a totally different world from table saws huh yeah I must say, I'm, I've always said I'm going to get a saw stop eventually. But if I could afford a panel saw, I might, you know, and, and, and get the saw stop yeah. because of the, the technology, because it's safer. Yeah, yeah, just from everything, from everything everyone has said, a panel saw is just as safe because of the, the operation. I, well, here's my big controversial, my two cents <laughs> yeah, your first people. Tell me, why is it? You can go to a high school and they'll put you in front of a bandsaw and let you cut away. There's nothing wrong with working in front of a bandsaw because it's safe. Why is that any safer than working with a table saw? Like it's got a spinning blade that's going to cut your hand off. And I would argue that you can cut your hand off easier on a bandsaw. Maybe not off, I think but it'd be halfway the, through. <laughs> I think the emergency department statistics would would uh, be the ultimate say in that. Well, I have... Not that I know them, uh, but... I'm very unfortunate. Don't talk to a butcher. A very unfortunate friend of mine in Melbourne mm. suffered a table saw accident this weekend. Oh, no shit. Really? Yeah, a big shout out. If he's listening to Scotty at, at Timber Shack, he had a uh, kickback incident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ripping 45-degree uh, long French cleats and kickback into his stomach. Sent them oh. over and hand into the blade. Oh, oh yeah, wow. I haven't heard of that one before. Now, yeah. can I just say, after hearing that, that is not uh, an <laughs> unsafe... Like, that is not the saw. No. Anything to do with the saw. And, and you could trip on anything and fall into a bandsaw blade as well. Yeah, you so, could. Mm. Um, and that, uh, that, so I think probably most people would agree there, but um, I just find it odd that people, there's just like fear i i think of table saws well yeah it's a big blade and especially if you're getting if you're getting a really big table saw that's throwing like a 500 mil blade there's a certain amount of respect i think extra that you might want to have but um like if you've got a panel saw it's got a guard that comes right down over the blade it's much safer than any guard on a bandsaw i mean you've got to want to put your hand in the blade if you've got the guard mm. in place you know one diff- one thing i okay firstly i'm still massive saw sop guy i would not change my table saw for anything like i absolutely love it i love the blade on it i was not the blade i love the fence on it i like the tables on it. it stays flat it's a good quality saw and then you add in the safety factor but in terms of the injuring yourself on a band saw the fact that like you'd have to be doing very well to get the same kind of kickback on a band saw because the force is down yeah. And also, mm-hmm. you don't have to push anything all the way through the bandsaw. If you have like rear access to the bandsaw, you can push it halfway. Mm. You can you can reasonably safely leave the timber with the bandsaw on. If you've got feather boards, keeping it against the fence, walk around the bandsaw and pull it from the other side. So your hands mm. never need to get within 30 centimeters of the blade. Whereas with a table can. saw, 
you're always using a push stick or something. There's an element of if you do get kickback, your hand, you know, your hand reaches out in front yep. of you to break your fall, and that's that's what's happening. Yeah, moment. always so, going over the blade. Yeah, yeah. that's so, certainly yeah. a different thing. Falling like that seems I've never heard of that. That's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. I would like to point out any video by Jimmy Darista where his fingers are within three millimeters of the blade. Terrifying. Like, but also. But you sometimes have to use the bandsaw in that way. Like when I when you cut cabriolet legs, you're cutting all sorts of crazy ways, and there's no way you've got any fences set up. It's just you've just got to be conscious that there's a big blade, and you've got you know 400 mil of blade exposed, and you just got to deal with the fact that you don't you can't move in this general vicinity. Or um, you just say, I am not making cabriolet legs. Yeah, well, but you know, gotta have some fun. Yeah. <laughs> Because I guess the difference between having your finger 30 centimeters away and 3 centimeters away, there isn't any difference in terms of your, your danger. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the, the blade's not doing, not, yeah. it's still not doing anything differently. It's still not doing anything differently. You yeah. mean on the bandsaw, Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, not table yeah. saw, on the bandsaw, yeah. Because I must say, I get, I get quite intimate with my bandsaw while I'm making cuts. <laughs> but it's always... <laughs> Bit of light jars. It's, it's, yeah, He's starting a new channel, Robin? Um, as long as you've asked consent. It's always just very calculated because whether my finger's that close to the, the, the blade or that, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But I feel like that to a degree with the table saw. Like, I could have be a meter away from the blade and use my sliding table or if i'm stupid i can rip a really thin piece of wood and just push it through with my thumb and it's 40 mil away for the blade um like i know that if my hand's resting against the fence it can't touch the blade and mm, i probably should yeah. use a push stick and i do most of the time but sometimes i just run through with my hand running against on the fence and what i do is i hook my little finger over top of my my fence and it's locked on Unless because there is no force in this universe stronger than a pinky. No, exactly. Like I've got I mean, nothing's going to Popeye, Popeye little finger. If our lawyers are listening, can we say that that is not? It's not the way to stop yourself cutting your fingers off. It stops uh, your hand from falling off into the blade. Yeah. yeah. So Leroy, the the panel saw is going straight into the the new shop. Yeah, yeah, arrives tomorrow. Been a bit of a logistical nightmare, but uh, mm. hopefully it all goes smoothly tomorrow and yeah. uh, I'm away. Are you having uh, the guys come and assemble it and tweak it? Yep, yep, yep. So that, yeah, oh, that cool. happens on Thursday. Nice. Um, but I've just got to get it into the workshop. So I've got to hire a forklift, I've got to hire a forklift driver, um, get up a ramp. Get it in there. It's, it's yeah. And you got three phase power and stuff. Yeah, I just just installed all that today. Jeez, that's an expensive little thing. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to ask you, right? So you, you money like it's hot. Your choice to go for a panel saw would indicate to me that you're now looking to get into more built-in sort of cabinetry work. Would I be right? I, I'm looking to give myself as many options, options as possible. Yep. So again, like I. I I want to keep doing those spec pieces and and I'd love to be able to um, have bespoke furniture um, be every single job. But I think the reality is, especially as I get started, um, I'm going to have bills to pay. So I plan on <clears throat> reaching out to builders and carpenters mm -hmm. and saying, I'll cut you and edge your panels for you um, and I'll do – 
I'll have it ready for you next day. Mm-hmm. And so you can give me your order. I'll, you know, do my day's work, spend an hour or two at the end of the day, <clears throat> cut those panels and have them ready for, for the chippies to come collect and, and they can do the, their installs. Um, so that's going to be a component. Um, and I've, I've, I've got a whole range of, of things that I'm sort of oh, – I just don't want to I – don't, I, don't, I don't want to keep myself um, locked into I am a bespoke furniture maker. That's all I'm going to yeah. do because if that, if that can't pay the bills, then well, what do I do? Like mm-hmm. it's game over. So I just want to give myself as, as many options as possible and uh, – and not pigeonhole myself because I think I did that early on in the business where I was like, I'm not going to do anything with Malamine because Malamine's a cheap material and I'm not going to do that. Um, mm. But then uh, I sort of looked at myself and said, really, you're being an idiot to turn away that sort of work because sometimes it is the best material for the job. If somebody wants a new kitchen cabinet and they've got, you know, three cabinets that they want yeah. – there's no point trying to upsell them into a birch ply cabinet because it's better because they don't care. Mm. Um, and so to turn away that work over something that's silly over, uh, yeah, me, me being high and mighty over a material, I, I think I've gotten away from that and a material is a material and the best material for the job is the best material for the job. Mm. Yep. Like, so that's my thought. I get that. And you know, what's something we glossed over as well with your giant big saw is that it's one. Of, it's it's probably better than your jointer at um, straightening big long sticks of wood. Um, you don't yeah, have to. So you can just clamp it on and run it through, and yeah. and you, and you, bam, you've got a straight edge. So that's yep. that's really useful for those. So when do you plan on being officially up and running in the new shop? Because you're you're still moving in now. Yeah, it's, it's it's a bit of a process. Like I've got I've got a couple of jobs on the go at the moment um, where I've had to basically speak to clients who have been wonderful and just say, look, this has all happened really quickly. Um, I'm going to need a little bit more time to get these done. So I'm, I'm I've basically been doing 18 hour days just to try and get up and running, trying to get these um, jobs that I already had on the go out the door mm. and um, and the thousand other things that I've sort of had to do to get myself um, going again. Uh, yeah, there's, it's been a, a, a huge amount of things just to, um, just to think, just to think things like uh, organising waste. It's not something that I really thought too much of, but commercial waste is – totally different to a domestic style waste. Um, so I had to work out, and they sort of ask you, okay, how, how much waste are you going to have? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Right, so you don't get allocated like a wheelie bin, but the commercial version of it. No, no you get a wheelie right. bin, but then you you got you to pay for your like actual dumpster type one that maybe come gets yeah. emptied every month or two weeks or something. Yeah, so you, and oh, you have yeah. to set up a schedule, and they ask you, okay, well, what do you want your schedule to be? I, I don't know what my <laughs> what I want my schedule to be. Um, yeah, there's been there's been so many many things like like that, just trying to organise insurances for mm. the building, um, you know, upping upping my liability insurance and things like that. Um, uh, getting getting finance with machinery brokers. The list has just been a mile long. Just trying to 
trying to get working through leases, <laughs> um, knowing, trying to get a straight answer out of someone to know what a commercial space is worth, um, or even just being able to get somebody to take you through a listing. Because <clears throat> it seems like the commercial spaces, it's very much like a, it's like a, it's like a closed club. Mm. So uh, lots of commercial owners um, buy lots of commercial properties. So the real estate agents, to make their job a bit easier, they just keep going to those same people and they offer the spaces to those people who they know that they get the deal. So it's very hard to even even get a viewing of a commercial property, at least where, where I am. Um, it was just hard to, to find anything at all. So to someone who's looking at getting a commercial property, would especially considering what you just said, would you advise waiting till you were a, at a particular point in your career? So bringing in a certain amount of money every month or do you think that it's something that you may have in hindsight done a bit earlier um i think that the time there's never going to be a perfect time you're never going to be going for especially going from a very small space um like i was in in the shipping container like i could not turn over the work required because i just didn't have the space if i if i glued something up that was it. Like I was done for the day because I could not, I couldn't physically move anywhere else in the shop. Mm. Um, I couldn't, I could never, I could never walk around a piece. So I'd have to turn it around within the container. Um, so, so there were so many like triple, quadruple, 50 times handling something that, that I couldn't charge for um, because I can't just charge for my inefficiencies. Mm. So to me, I was, I was at a point where, okay, like the business is, is good. It's viable. Um, I'm making money. Um, and I'm in a position where I'm in a fortunate position that I have a salary job. So that for me, the time was, well, the time's now. Like it yeah. would have been good to do it 20 years ago, but the next best time is now so i just took it as mm. okay the best time to do it is is now and put all my eggs in the basket and and give it a red hot go and look if it, if it doesn't I, I can't guarantee that anything's going to work out i can't guarantee that it's going to be a su- success but it won't be because i'm i haven't worked hard enough yep. and it ha- won't be because uh i've been scared to do it something else i'm all in something else that will probably become apparent with lots of space is that you suddenly realize you can do more than one thing at once. Like you're saying, you're, you're just locked in on this one job, which is stuck on your one assembly table and that's all you can do. But you have another assembly table next to it. And while that bit's gluing up, you can be starting to work on this other bit. And it takes a while to get your head into two jobs at once. But once you re- once you're there and you go, oh well, the- now I've got two lots of deposit come in this week, and I'm going to get two lots of final payment come in this week if I can get these jobs out the door. And um, you know, I've gone up to having five jobs on at once, which is a bit much to to deal Jeez. with. But you get used to juggling more and more, and knowing that. All I have to do on this job today is just one thing and then that can dry and then I can do this part on this job and then you just going slowly going forward on multiple jobs is actually, there's obviously a point I think where it becomes, um, you know, non, 
not beneficial, but there's a, certainly a, a sweet spot where you can do multiple things at once and it is very much beneficial for the business. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of uh, working, trying to work the, the efficiencies out. So where can I, um, how can I step things up and, and where can I find all these efficiencies that used to be so inefficient? Um, where can I, where can I find those efficiencies? And I think like organisation planning um, and having space is, is just going to be uh, pretty fantastic. Can I give you a massive tip? Work, work, work benches on assembly benches on wheels. Make some nice, or if, if you can't weld, get somebody local who can weld for you and offer to make them some tables or something. Weld up four or five big steel-framed assembly benches. Yeah, big heavy things, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's a good idea. Why, I actually hadn't thought of that. Why would you go with steel over timber? Um, I don't... I, I find that they stay flatter, personally. Like, I yeah, think okay. it, once you get a steel frame flat and you put a ply top on it, the ply top is not going to move. The steel frame is not going to move. Yeah. Um, you can also distribute weight around them quite easily, if you know what I mean. Whereas with with a timber workbench, if you've got a solid timber top on it, you're trying to make sure that there's enough weight in the bottom, whereas the steel will always weigh more than the ply top on it. Yeah. So it's got a it's got a good sort of center point. Like that workbench that I made um, a few months ago with the big lockable casters on it, to do planing and anything at it, I very rarely need to lock the casters. That's yeah. the kind of weight that it is. Yeah. Um, and also just the ability to reconfigure, to move things about. Um, if you make it the same height as your table saw, I don't know whether it's, it's probably not so necessary on a, on a panel saw, but to use it as an outfeed table yeah. and just offer you maximum flexibility in a space, I just, I, I would not make, traditional wooden framed workbenches. You might have yeah. one in the corner, but yeah. then in terms of actually managing jobs, once you have a big flat table, it's kind of all you need. Yeah. Yeah, my assembly table is a, a torsion box. Um, yep. And the problem with that is all the weight is at the top, like you say, it's got spindly little plywood panel legs, and it's all right, um, but it's so bulky, I would rather have just some like 20, 20 by 20 square tube welded base and yep. a couple of you know one one big sheet of ply on top would be fine um and the new workshop i imagine that's what i'll end up getting a couple of those made good tip ryan good tip enjoy setting it up it's very exciting yeah 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 it's uh it's overwhelming <laughs> oh my but my other uh, tip would be just constantly sketch it out and look at the way other people have their workshops set up in terms of your in-feed space and your out-feed space, whether you sort of line everything up linearly, linear, linearly, in a, in a, that's the one, thanks, Joe. <laughs> in a line. In a line, <laughs> down one side of the space, or whether you have overlapping spaces that you use in-feed and out-feed on different machines. Like, Well, with that yeah. amount of space, you can have each of your machines spread out by a couple of metres and yeah, not worry. Yeah. When, he's, when he's subdivided, he's got a cafe in the front, he'll be, yeah. he'll be laughing. <laughs> You need to get a segue to, to get from one side of the workshop to the yeah, other. That's the yeah. only problem. You don't want your machines so far apart that you've, you've actually got to walk too far because that, that becomes annoying. That's actually something that I've 
found very, very quickly is how sore my feet and legs are standing on concrete for 18 hours um, mm. and walking, just, you know, basically walking around in circles uh, for that long every day. Uh, yeah, I'm in a world of pain. Insoles, <laughs> insoles in the boots. Yeah. Really good ones. Well, keep us, keep us up to date with pictures. I'm really keen to see how this all cut because I think you put up a, an Instagram story would have been last week yeah where you were in the empty shop so really really keen to see how this all comes together yeah as, as soon as uh tomorrow and the next day is over then then i can sort of start to uh share a little bit more and and, and <laughs> hopefully get you know people a bit more involved which will be fun mm. awesome yeah cool all right i reckon we're going to leave it there that's time so to everyone listening uh, if you did enjoy the show, please go ahead and give it a rating on iTunes. That really does help us out. Uh, Joey and Brian, thanks again for hanging out. And Leroy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we've I've told the guys so many times in the past, we need to get Leroy on, we need to get Leroy on. So I'm stoked we finally yep. got to awesome. make it happen. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I'm, I've been listening to this podcast since day one. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it was a real thrill to, to come on. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, no problem at all. All right, everyone, take care, and we will see you in the next show for the season finale. All right, see ya. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.